we'll pray about that. Faith will flourish in an understanding heart. Amen. Um, it's, it's at least a good title for a sermon series, and I think this is part four. I, f- I forget exactly the number, so. But um, thank you, Marcos. Praise God. We're using a, uh, a spare camera tonight that's really more designed for um, uh, up close, and so they're moving it around. Don't get dizzy if you're watching on, online, so. Amen. I got the red light, so that means we're back on, so praise God. All right. <clears throat> Amen. They're coming closer. I'll keep talking. Amen. If you're listening to this, you say, well, I don't need to. It looks like you need to rotate it um, a little bit clockwise. Perfect. There you go. All right. Amen. Good enough. I can come down if I need to to the front, but I think we're all right. Okay, so appreciate those of you watching for being patient with us on uh, on the video feed tonight, and we'll get that um, we'll get that figured out. So anyway, our current sermon, sermon series on Wednesday night, Faithful Flourish in an Understanding Heart. Let me just... Real quick, like Romans 12, 3 tells us that God has dealt to every man the measure of faith. And we said that faith is a substance that can be measured and it's capable of releasing a spiritual force greater than any force of nature or darkness. And if you're a, if you're a human being on planet Earth, you have the measure of faith inside of you right now. But what we're learning is that faith resides in and works from functions from the heart in the same way that a light bulb has to be screwed into a light fixture in order for the light bulb to work. Um, the faith that you've been given, the measure of faith that, that belongs to you, that God dealt to you and shared with you, we see that that measure of faith is like a light bulb and your heart is like the fixture. And so many times if we have a problem you know, with the light not working, we automatically think it's the bulb. Um, but what we're seeing is that because God gave us the measure of faith that we have, um, there's nothing wrong with the measure of faith. Um, the problems are uh, with our heart. So we often think in terms, uh, we think of faith in terms of a theory or a philosophy existing in the mind. Thoughts and thinking are key factors in the overall operation of faith, but faith is first and foremost a spiritual substance. And again, the spiritual substance of faith that every person has been given resides in and works from the heart. So I believe that this is why Jesus spent far more time addressing the condition of the heart than he did addressing the faith that resides in and works from the heart. Um, not in a, in, a, in a rude way. Jesus was never rude to anyone. But it, it, it was almost as if every time the disciples would say something about need more faith, give us more faith, Jesus would, when I say dismiss that, he would like set that aside like you don't know what you're asking. If you've got faith, the grain of a mustard seed, you can move mountains, right? The, 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 you know, he's taken something, a mustard seed is very, very tiny, um, but he said even something just, um, you know, almost microscopic quantity of it is enough to move the largest obstacle on planet Earth um, out of your way. So again, because God has dealt to us the measure of his faith, um, and it's greater than any force of nature or, or, or darkness, um, then in order for that, the light bulb of our faith to shine brightly and produce what um, Father wants it to produce in our lives, we, we need to look at the fixture. And so again, Jesus spent far more time addressing the condition of the heart than he did addressing the faith that resides in and works from the heart. Now, we have 
gone back and forth to it so many times that um, you guys can probably quote, um, uh, you know, all the different, uh, you know, parts of this passage. But in Mark, the sixth chapter, we see where a large multitude of people were fed. The disciples participated in the miracle. Jesus sends them across ahead of him so he can spend some alone time with his father. And then they get caught up in a pretty violent windstorm. And Jesus comes walking on the water. And the Bible says that they supposed him to be a ghost. And they begin to cry and scream out against him in, in terror and in uh, panic. And we said that um, it was a problem with the understanding. Um, Jesus said that their hearts were hardened, okay? And because their hearts were hardened, they did not understand about the loaves. Now, if you look at this, it almost, you know, on the surface, you're like, well, what does the loaves have to do with Jesus walking on the water and what does that have to do with the way the, Jesus, the, way the disciples responded to Jesus when he was um, walking on that, uh, that water? And um, so let me put just a, a couple of verses um, on the screen. Uh, uh, Mark chapter 6, verse 49 and 50. I'm, if you're wondering why I'm like an auctioneer almost going through this, this is all review. But I just want this to be fresh in your heart and mind for what we go into next, Okay. It says, and when they saw him walking on the sea, they supposed it was a ghost and cried out, for they all, for they saw him, for they all saw him and were troubled. But immediately he talked with them and said to them, "Be of good cheer, as I do not be afraid." Now, a supposition is something you arrive at. Okay, are you with me? A supposition is something you arrive at. Uh, in the same way that if I, you know, after we're done here this evening. Um, I will get in my car and I will arrive back at my home. Um, in other words, a supposition is a destination that you have traveled to. You arrive at something because there is a process of, of rationalization, reasoning, logic, um, all words speaking of your understanding, the way you understand something, that have brought you to that des- destination. In this case, um, the destination is a supposition. It's something that they supposed. And we said last week that a supposition is a belief without proof or certainty. A supposition is a belief without proof or certainty. Now, um, Jesus was not trying to correct the destination. He was trying to correct the understanding that kept leading them to the wrong destination. Or let me say it another way, an understanding that kept leading them to the wrong supposition. You, you can see this throughout the earthly ministry um, of Jesus and his interaction with his disciples. Um, we don't always see the word supposition used, okay, that they supposed. But in another place, they get in the boat and they forgot to pack a lunch. And Jesus is trying to teach them about the leaven of the Pharisees. And they automatically suppose, right, see... It's it, that, they're, that they're going to go hungry that day because they didn't bring any food with them. So there, there was a, there's different expressions we use all the time, maybe don't even realize we use them, a line of thinking. Anybody ever heard that? A line of thinking. That's, a, that's another way of, um, you know, where we connect this dot with that dot and that dot with this dot and, and we come to a conclusion also known as 
a, a supposition. And so they could not have been further off base thinking Jesus was a ghost, an omen, meaning they were all about uh, to, uh, to drown to death. But here is the, the verse, Mark six fifty two, For they had not understood about the loaves because their heart was hardened. So the understanding that they needed, right, the understanding that they needed um, was unavailable to them because their hearts were hardened. In other words, if their hearts had not been hardened, the loaves would have helped them understand in a different way that would have put Jesus walking on the water in an entirely different context. Okay? Let me, let me stop for a minute here. We were talking about this in discipleship class um, uh, earlier this evening. Um, and here's just a simple example. But as I was giving this example in class, it, this sermon obviously came to mind. Do you remember when Jesus told Nicodemus, you must be born again? Well, Nicodemus looks at him like a calf looking at a new gate. How can a man when he's old be born a second time? Go back into his mother's womb and be born a second time. Notice, it was the, the problem was not with what Jesus was saying. The problem was within the way Nicodemus understood. He only understood a human being to be one-dimensional. Therefore, if a man is going to be born a second time, he would have to be physically born a second time. And so notice now, this is leading Nicodemus to think that Jesus is a nutcase, right? And, and so, again, the problem here is with Nicodemus's ability to understand. Now, Jesus, you know, continues to have the dialogue with him, and he continues to be confused. Um, but the problem, again, is with the way Nicodemus understands things, all right? Now, let's talk a little more about the idea of a hardened heart because when we hear a hardened heart, we think of someone who is cold and and indifferent and callous towards people, unforgiving, not generous, all these other things. If you look closely at the lives of the disciples, we we don't necessarily see those kinds of characteristics, um, you know, in in their behavior, in their actions. Um, I mean... How hard could their hearts have been to walk away from their businesses and follow Jesus, okay? So when we, maybe I'm just speaking for myself, but as, as I've tried to really understand what a hardened heart is, because the last thing in the world any of us want is a hardened heart, you know, I think sometimes we, stay with me now, we don't think of ourselves as having a hardened heart because we have compassion on people in need. Somebody is hurting. You know, we'll stop on the road and, and, and help them change a flat tire. You know, these kinds of things. And so we, we have this tendency to think of somebody who has a hardened heart is somebody who is, is just turns, you know, um, you know, remember the story of the Good Samaritan where the, the, the guy was in need and they went all the way to the other side of the road. They didn't even want to pass on the side, same side of the road where this guy had been robbed and beaten. You know, we think, oh, that's so hard-hearted, okay? And, and so I think sometimes we never consider that our hearts may be hardened because of what we perceive uh, a hardened heart to look like or what a hardened heart to be. Somebody who maybe is mean, somebody who's, you know, just could care less about, uh, you know, anybody else other than themselves. And, you know, man, you know, she's so hard-hearted. Well, I don't believe that's what 
Jesus is referring to here. So a hardened heart is instead a heart that is set in a specific direction. A heart that is set in a specific direction. Now, um, my uh, grandson loves to make things and he loves to play with Play-Doh and, and shape and form things out of Play-Doh, okay? And so I want you to think about um, clay or Play-Doh, something like that, that's very soft and, and pliable, okay? But then I want you to think about um, clay or Play-Doh that didn't get sealed up properly in the container and it has become hardened, Okay, well, let's say the last thing that you made out of that clay was some kind of little stick man or something like that. Well, the clay is going to harden in whatever form it was, it was left in. And because it hardened in that state, it's, it's going to tend to remain in that state. Okay, so when Jesus says that the disciples' heart were, was, were, their hearts were hardened... And he said over and over again, he pointed out where their hearts were hardened. And then on one occasion, he said, are your hearts still hardened? In other words, he was saying that their hearts were set in a uh, specific direction, okay? So think with me now. We become set in our ways to the point of predictability because we become set in the way our hearts understand, Are you with me? We become set in our ways. This is one of the reasons why Jesus says we need to become like little children in the kingdom, right? Because little children haven't yet become set in their ways, right? Because they haven't yet become set in their understanding. Uh, You know, kids love, love, you tell them stories, make up a story. You know, the, um, I don't know if anybody heard Oliver um, today um, he, uh, on the Toy Story movie where the claw comes. And so when we, you know, go to, to his playroom, last time I was in his playroom with him, uh, Oliver and Grindiddy were playing uh, with the aliens and we were playing claw and we'd rescue the claw. Well, he happened to see the knuckle boom truck today, okay? You know what that is, right? The one that grabs all the branches and drops them in, okay? He comes in, Grindiddy, he squatted all the way down on the floor and did his arms up like this, he said, the, the hugest claw I've seen in my entire life, right? Okay, all two years of it so far, okay? All right? But see, the, the, the wonder and the, and, the, and the amazement and all these other things. Um, in other words, he, he understands all kinds of things about a claw and what it is and, and all this other stuff, right? That's old hat to us. I mean, you know, um, th- th- these things. So, again, we become set in our ways to the point of predictability. Okay? Anybody ever look at their significant other and say, here we go again? <laughs> Why? Because, you know, I mean, it's, it's predictable. It's predictable. Well, the only reason we're set in a particular way of doing things is because we are set in a particular way of understanding things. How we understand money, how we understand the expression of affection, how we understand, whatever it is. is. This is how we understand it, and so this is how we do it, okay? And so we become set in our ways to the point of predictability because we become set in the way our hearts understand. Now, we have a word for this. 
Anybody want to take a shot at it? It's called stubborn. It's called <laughs> Listen, if tonight is anything like a lot of the previous Wednesday nights, there's a whole lot more people watching online than are in this room, okay? So I don't know what the reaction was in the room where you're maybe watching this tonight, but it, it, it was kind of like lead balloonish in, in here, okay? Uh, it, it didn't go over very well at all, all right? But again, we, we have a word for becoming set in our ways to the point of predictability because we become set in our way of understanding things, all right? And that word's called stubborn. That word's called stubborn, now, here is the sentence that I think I've been looking for for several weeks. Maybe we can at least put part of this to rest and move on to some new things. But, but I, 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 lo- I long for ways to capture things in a way and present them in a way that people can understand them and appreciate them. Okay? So when Jesus says that they freaked out and hollered out against him thinking he was a ghost because they, their hearts were hardened and they didn't understand about the loaves, This, I believe, is what Jesus was trying to communicate. The miracle of the lows should have impacted and reshaped the disciples' understanding, but it didn't phase it at all. It did not phase it at all. This was what Jesus was marveling at. You see, we we see both sides of this coin in, in the earthly ministry of Jesus. We see him marveling at great faith, And then we also see him marveling at people's hearts. When he says, like, looks at his disciples and he says, are your hearts still hardened? Jesus is like, just can't comprehend tongue in cheek, speak as a man, right? It's, It's just beyond him that all of these things that his disciples have witnessed, um, it hasn't yet impacted and reshaped their understanding, now, it's, it's a lot easier and certainly more enjoyable to talk about them instead of talking about us. But how many of us have become so hardened in our hearts, meaning so set in our way of understanding things? Do you realize how many people in the body of Christ um, re- refuse uh, gifts of the Spirit um, b- because they're so stubborn my mother had a, you know, she was a retired pastor at the Y one day, and she was just talking to him, and they were having the best conversation about the things of God and the Word of God, and and um, and uh, and she said something about, uh, well, you know, the Bible says we'll do the works that Jesus did, and even greater works, and he fired right back. The Bible does not say that. My mom's like, yeah, John fourteen. I forget the, you know, she told him the exact reference. The Bible doesn't say that. The Bible, I mean, go ahead and say you're not interested, but don't say the Bible doesn't say it, right? Do you realize how many people, I, I, I've heard it on more than one occasion, folks that came and kicked the tires at Heritage, but they got a little too close to the Holy Ghost Creek and they decided to go back to wherever they came from. And, and, and more than one person over the years has said these exact words to me. Are you ready? I was born a Baptist, I was raised a Baptist, and I'll die a Baptist. Okay, well, Amen. You can, you can still be baptized in the Holy Spirit and be a Baptist, you know. You can still believe in healing and be a Baptist, right? One of the more uh, popular Baptist ministers of, of my generation, he's with Jesus now, he said on national television that miracles and healing are not for today. And are you ready for this? That he thanked God 
that a miracle or a healing had never taken place in one of his meetings. Man, the devil just make you dumb stupid, won't he? I mean, just, just, okay. But see, again, we have a word for that. It, it, it's called stubborn. It's called, it's called being set in a way of understanding. Do you realize how many people, preachers in our world today, they insist that, that miracles and, and the gifts of the Spirit and speaking in tongues passed with the, with, when the last apostle passed. Never mind that the Bible says this is for you, for your children, for your children's children, and it's for many as the Lord our God shall call. Never mind that Jesus said you go preach and everybody who believes will speak with new tongues and lay their hands on the sick and the sick will recover. I mean, again, things that people believe and preach... I mean, there's some things, okay, I got how you could be confused about that. But there are some things, again, it's, 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 it's the way they have become set in their understanding and there you've got it in, in the words of Jesus written in red. It doesn't phase their understanding at all. Okay? Well, again, listen to me. It's very easy for us to talk about other people and what other people, right? What about our understanding? What do you understand about the baptism of the Holy Spirit? What do you understand about healing? So, you know, this, this is where, praise God, this is where it gets, um, you know, not for us, but again, more and more the Holy Spirit is, is uh, blessing us and, and, and He's ex- expanding our influence, okay? And so I'm, I'm well aware that there are a lot more people listening to me right now and watching me right now than are present in this room right now, okay? So, praise God, I'm not trying to you know, be bombastic and offensive and all those other things. Um, but he's saying that the miracle of the loaves should have impacted and reshaped the disciples' understanding. It didn't phase it at all. So when the next supernatural thing comes along, they're blown away by it. They're freaked out by it. They think it's a ghost. They have, they're clueless. And, and instead, if their hearts had been pliable and, and, the, and, and the miracle of the loaves had been more than just something that amazed them in the moment. But instead, what Jesus clearly wanted to happen was for that miracle to impact and reshape the way they understood things, the way they assessed and processed things moving from that point forward. Amen? All right, now, I got two different directions and I don't have time for both of them. So let me, let me do this. I want to I get to where we were last week. But I want to give you this and then maybe next week we'll come back to it, okay? So just real quick, there's other verses. There's New Testament verses that, are the old, that, that parallel what we find in the Old Testament. But I want to give you the Old Testament one. Um, Proverbs chapter 2 and we'll begin at verse number 1. Proverbs 2 and 1. Let me tell you what the Holy Spirit's been convincing me of, and He's the great convincer of men's hearts, okay? Is number one that Jesus was, was, we've already made that point tonight, but I'll make it again, that if you look at the earthly ministry of Jesus, He spent far more time talking about the condition of men's hearts compared to the faith that resided in and worked from that men's hearts. In other words, I believe what we see and the, and, and the pattern that we can pull from this is that Jesus knew if he could get the understanding corrected, the faith would flourish, because faith will flourish in an understanding heart. Now, last week we looked at Abraham, who is the supreme example for operating in faith, 
And again, we see, because the same measure of faith that was given to Abraham has been given to every person in this room, every person listening to me right now. All right? So look at all that Abraham accomplished with the measure of faith that, that, that God gave to him. And I'm convinced, again, I believe the Holy Spirit has brought us to this conclusion, brought me to this place of being convinced, is, 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 is that the difference in Abraham was his understanding. And, 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 and the, remember, we, we said that uh, the, um, the Passion Translation uh, verse, uh, let me put it back up, um, in uh, Hebrews eleven nineteen from the Passion Translation, Abraham's faith made it logical to him that God could raise Isaac from the dead. And symbolically, that's exactly what happened. So we, we're seeing, um, a, again, this... Um, uh, I'm not trying to use big words on you, but it, it, there's a, this, this symbiotic relationship. Do you understand symbiotic? It's when, it's when two separate things work together and, and can't produce um, apart what they can produce together. And, and so we're, we're seeing this, this relationship between the measure of faith that every person's been given and, um, and the heart that that faith resides in and, and works from. And, and so why was Abraham able to do and receive by faith what he did and received by faith when other people who were given the same measure of faith Abraham was given did not accomplish anything at all or receive anything at all by faith? It, it goes back to the understanding, not the faith. It goes back to the understanding heart, not, well, God gave more faith to Abraham and less to everybody else. Absolutely not. The difference is the understanding. You still with me? Okay, thank you. Praise God. All right, so let's finish here tonight. Um, Matthew chapter 8. Matthew chapter 8, and we'll begin at verse 5. Matthew chapter 8. In verse 5. Praise God. Thank you, Jesus. Man, I'm excited. I'm, I, um, I didn't give you Proverbs 2, did I? Man, thank you, Holy Spirit. I'm so excited I'm moving ahead myself. All right, Proverbs 2. My son, if you receive my words and treasure my commands within you, so he's talking about the Word of God becoming a priority in your life. The Word of God, right, being something that you receive. In chapter 4, he's going to talk about you inclining your ear, hearing his Word above all the other noise going on in the world around you. He says, if you receive my words and treasure my commands within you, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Who decides what you treasure? You decide what's a priority in your life. You decide what you pay your attention to, what you invest interest in. Okay, So he's saying, my son, if you receive my words and treasure my commands within you so that you incline your ear to wisdom and apply your heart to understanding. Okay, So inclining your ear to wisdom means a conscientious effort to hear wisdom, okay, and then a conscientious effort, apply your heart to understanding, to take the wisdom that you're receiving from God and begin to put it into practice in your life. This is, this is how understanding develops. Let's go to the tithe, right? What did God say about the tithe? Prove me in this. The only way to ever un- you'll ever understand tithing is to tithe. Now, you learn about tithing by hearing about tithing. 
and, and, and you, you apply the wisdom of tithing to your life, right, um, by, by actually, you know, uh, going after it and doing it, okay? But when you really understand it is when you do it and you see, right, see, that's understanding is when you can see what other people can't see. You can see the benefit and the results that it produces in your life. At this point, you're hooked. I mean, it's like, you know, can I go back and pay back tithes on stuff that I didn't tithe on before I learned about this? You know, that's how excited you get about it, all right? You can read everything there is to read about tithing. You can read books about tithing. You can write a book about tithing. You'll never understand it until you apply your heart to the wisdom of it, okay? Now, verse 3, yes, if you cry out for discernment and lift up your voice for understanding, if you seek her as silver and search for her as hidden treasures. Okay? Now, the Lord's, Lord's helped me and he's corrected me and he's shown me and I'm, he's teaching me, okay, and, and, and hopefully teaching all of us. You've heard me say, anybody that's heard me teach the number one prayer request, the one thing I've asked God for more than any other thing in my lifetime is wisdom. Okay? James 1, 5. It's my life first. Okay? If any man lacks wisdom, let him ask God. He gives to all men liberally, no respect of persons. Okay? But notice the other thing here is and lift up your voice for understanding. Okay? The wisdom of God multiplied the loaves. I mean, only, what's the difference between knowledge and wisdom? Wisdom is about producing a result. Wisdom is, is, a, is, a, is about, you know, knowing something and being able to use what you know to produce a measurable, tangible, verifiable result in somebody's life. And so when Jesus took that little boy's lunch, blessed it, broke it, it was the wisdom of God, not the wisdom of man that fed all those people, okay? So wisdom was right in front of them, but notice, no understanding, all right? Let me, let me ask you now, and, and see, the Holy Spirit had us covered in this, even though we didn't know he had us covered in this, okay? Because one of the things that I pray, I know a lot of people in this room pray, I, I pray it over myself, I pray it over my family, I pray it over my family of faith, I pray it over my foundry family, I pray it over my found, family of ministry partners in different places around the world, and that's the Ephesians 1 prayer, and it's that God would give to us, asking him for a spirit of wisdom and revelation and the knowledge of him so that our, the eyes of our understanding will be enlightened. Okay, all right. But other than, and not that I'm discounting that, that's extremely important. When is the last time you have cried out to God for understanding? You understand what I'm saying? When is the last time that you've asked him, Father, you know, I'm 54 years old now. I've, 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 I've lived a lot of life and I've enjoyed it and I've learned a lot of good things. But, you know, um, show me where my heart has become hardened and my understanding has become set, right? And, and all the things that you're showing me and doing me, doing around me or doing in me or through me, still is not changing that understanding, right? In other words, these are the kinds of prayers that I think he is leading us to pray. Um, when you cry out for something, 
my mind immediately goes to blind Bartimaeus sitting on the roadside, heard that Jesus was coming by. He can't see uh, whether or not Jesus is coming, but he's going to make sure that he is crying out for Jesus when Jesus gets within earshot. This is a man who's blind and wants to see, and he's crying out to the only one that he knows that can give him that gift of sight. Okay. So when I say cry out for understanding, we're talking about even a sight that we could make a case for being more important than the ability to see physically. We're talking about understanding of the heart. When is the last time we have cried out like blind Bartimaeus for understanding? Right? This is what he's saying. He's talking about more than just a casual request. He's talking about you know, a longing, a desire, a hunger, a passion, um, you know, where we cry out for understanding, right? And seek her as silver and search for her as hidden treasures, all right? So can I tell you, I'm not trying to come on too strong here, but can I tell you one of the reasons we don't cry out for understanding we don't see a need for it, right? We don't, it's like, I got this figured out. If you've read my book, Becoming a Threat to Addiction, you know, one of the things that, that keeps people locked into destructive uh, life patterns is they let what they know about something keep them from learning what they don't know about it, right? Listen, we understand a lot around here about prosperity, Okay. But how many of you know, if any man thinks he knows anything, he knows nothing yet, as he ought to know it? In other words, um, is, is, there, is there more for us to lay hold of? Yeah. So is it because we don't have enough faith to believe God for it? I believe we've got enough faith to believe God for everything that God has ever said was, was ours, right? The question is, do we have the understanding, Right? Or our hearts hardened? Are we, you know? <clears throat> let, let me let me give you an example of what I mean in in relationship to prosperity. Okay. To where we believe God to a certain level of prosperity, right? And so now you know it's like we used to have to scrape and this and that, but now we're in a more prosperous position. And so we tend to let our foot off the gas, right? The thing about prosperity is it's, 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 never, it's never only been about you. See, Father wants you to be wildly prosperous. He's given you the ability to get wealth so that what his covenant might be established in all the earth. Okay? So even people who are like all in, word of faith, like us, you know, Brother Hagen, Brother Copeland, you know, Bill Winston, all those guys, Keith Moore, okay? A lot, all, a lot of the folks that are all in on that, they, they basically, their understanding of prosperity is for them to have, you know, some comfortable things in their life, whatever that means to them. But see, notice the understanding, we become kind of set there. We kind of become locked in to, to that level of understanding. Um, I, I don't, I'm not trying to freak you out, my friend. I believe that God wants to make you a millionaire. You, 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 see, you know, see, like, no, no, somebody, I got some amens in the room. I'm sure I got some amens watching. There's some folks, man, that just took the Facebook screen and flipped it, right? 
And you know why they did? Because their understanding is set at a level of God trying to make them a 10,000 heir, right? 20,000, 30,000, $40,000. That's that, you know, well, you should be thankful for what you have. You couldn't be more thankful. Thank you, Jesus. I can be and I will be more thankful. But see, again, you, you, you're, you're, you're missing this. People that fight against this and rebel against this, teach against this, say people who teach this are greedy and all this other stuff. Wrong, 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 wrong. Wrong. The blessing of the Lord makes one rich and he adds no sorrow with it. Again, we, there's so much that the Lord's taught us that we understand about these things. But where has our understanding become set and locked in? And we're, Jesse Duplantis, I heard him say something. Um, I don't know if it was a minister's conference or a believer's convention. Matt, maybe you heard him say it. Some of you others I know listen, listen to our brother. Um, he said, for so long in, in our lives, we have seen nice things and something in us has desired those nice things and religion has told us that's being greedy. This is what Brother Duplantis said and, and, and the first time he said it, I had to kind of scratch my head. But I, the Holy Spirit keeps bringing me back around to it and bringing me back around to it. And, it, and it's just confirmed it over and over again. He says, it's, if your heart is, is pure before God, he said, it's not greed. He said, it's faith on the inside of you trying to reach out and bring that into your life. Amen. Amen. I don't, I, maybe y'all know who it was, but man, somebody roared out of here Sunday morning in a Maserati. I'm like, come on now. Amen. Right? Praise Somebody's blessed. Do you have any idea who it was, Pastor Rick? I don't I know I do it. What nice car. I'm like, I didn't see who it was. They come it was you? Ah, yes, okay. Thank you, sister. Amen. Our sister's blessed, prospering. Amen. All right. So um Jessica Rice, I forget her maiden name. Yeah, yeah, praise God. Um so Jessica and her husband. So thank you, Jesus, for blessing our sister and our brother. Amen. Well, people shouldn't be driving. See, again, who says? You know, Abraham had so much money, he didn't know how much he had. And he's our father. He's our example. Jesus, the Bible says, follow in his footsteps. Amen. See, well, that's just lust. That's just greed. That's it. No, could it be? Could it be that it's faith inside of you Wanting to believe for that in, into your life and family. Right? You ever thought about why you can, you can ride past 500 houses and then you ride past one and there's something that, like, man, now, amen, something in you, right? Our understanding is what sets the limits. I'm out of time. Stand with me. So I, I chose Proverbs over Matthew. I thought I'd have time for both. What we're going to look at, and we'll get there next week. What we're going to look at in Matthew, I told you we'd get there this week, last week, but we didn't, but amen, um, is the centurion. The centurion had the same measure of faith as Abraham, same measure of faith as every human being on the planet Earth has been given, okay? But Jesus said his faith was the greatest that he had seen in all of Israel. His measure of faith 
was displaying faith in a way that caused Jesus to marvel. Okay. What was the difference? His understanding was how he understood things. He understood, I'll give you one, okay, and then I'll pray. He understood that he was not worthy. Okay? There's a lot of people who understand that they're not worthy. They're not deserving. Okay? And then there's a whole lot of people on the other side of that coin that they're understanding that they are. And since God hasn't done it for them, that means he doesn't do it anymore. Because nobody's more deserving than me. And if God was ever going to do it for anybody, he would do it for me. So since God hasn't done it for me, he don't do it anymore. Okay? The centurion understood that he was not worthy. A lot of people have that understanding. This is where his understanding differed, though. He understood that he wasn't worthy, and he also understood that it didn't matter. It didn't matter that he wasn't worthy. Do you see his, the difference in his understanding there? Oh, I said I was going to give you one. I want to give you some more, but I'll, amen. We'll save it. Hey, praise God. Father, you're good to us and we love you. Thank you for loving us. Thank you for being so patient with us. Father, how many times have you looked at me? How many times, Father, has Jesus looked at me and said, Mark, do you still not understand? After all that you've seen after all that you've experienced after all that you've learned do you still not understand oh lord i want you to look at me and see someone who understands i want you to look at this family of faith and father see men and women who understand things the way jesus understands them because faith will flourish in an understanding heart father we cry out for understanding we we put wisdom and understanding at the top of our prayer list, Father, so that we can glorify you in the earth. Father, thank you for giving each, each and every one of us the measure of faith. Now, Father, we ask that you help us with the conditions in our heart that are, that are stifling that faith, that are, that are preventing and hindering that faith from producing what it could otherwise produce in and through our lives. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. And amen. Wow, thank you so much for being here tonight. Thank you for tuning in with us. You have a great rest of your week. We'll see you Sunday morning at 1030, if not before. Good things coming.